Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Proverbs 23, so be it for me. I'm, an, I'm a doer, not just a hearer of the word, Lord. Proverbs 23, tonight, what are we talking about? Finding freedom from defeat. Fr- finding freedom from defeat. Sadly, there are defeated believers. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. We should never be defeated in this life as a believer once we know what Scripture teaches and walk in line with that truth. Because Jesus himself, in conquering for us, allowed us the privilege to have the ability to walk in victory at every realm of life. There is not a single part of our life, not one thing in our life that we should ever be defeated in as believers. We should overcome in every way. But there's things, again, just like all these other teachings we're doing, things that we need to do to make sure that happens. So tonight, we're going to talk about making sure that we can walk in an understanding of freedom from any form of defeat in our lives. Proverbs 23 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. If you're there, say amen. Now, these are pretty familiar verses. But I want to show you something unique about this verse tonight as it relates to every single person on the planet. Verse 6, do not eat the bread of a miser. What's a miser? One who does evil. One who does evil. One who doesn't do right in the sight of God. Do not eat their bread. Do not eat their bread. So what would that mean? What would it mean not to eat their bread? How many understand you probably go to restaurants and eat bread from people that probably are evildoers? That own those restaurants. You don't know them. So is that referring to the fact we got to go find out before I ever eat any piece of bread, whoever provided that bread, if they're an evildoer? No. What's it referring to? That you don't walk in fellowship with them. That you don't sit at the same table and sup with them and allow them to infiltrate you with that same evil. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. So what do you mean desire his delicacies? It's amazing how still today many Christians get sucked into what really is a a trap of the enemy through things, financial aspects of things, as well as material things. They see somebody who has a lot of money. They see somebody who does well in life in the context of having lots of stuff, and they get sucked into that and think, wow, man, I want to be just like them. Let me help you. You don't want to be just like anybody on this planet. You know who you want to be like? Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. Now, yes, we imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, but they're simply walking like Jesus, and therefore so are we. Amen? Amen. So do not desire his delicacies. Don't allow people to attract you, to draw you with their things, with their stuff, their prestige, their position. You know, years ago, I think of so many things pastors taught me over the years, and... 
as we sit down, especially uh, the other day, we were sitting down with some other ministers at lunch, and as they were talking about some things they're dealing with and going through, I, as they're talking, and I just let Pastor, of course, you know, man, it's so cool to hear the things that he comes, you know, back with and helps them with. But many times I'll think about, you know, in the case of this situation they're dealing with, because they haven't been pastor as long as I have, as I'm hearing them talk, I'm already thinking. I know exactly what he's going to tell them because I've heard that exact same thing. He has helped me so, so many times to understand things that I need to know about as it relates to those things. One of the things that Pastor warned us about, and it's true of every believer, you need to watch this, especially in church. Beware of people that flatter you. Beware of people that have great influence. Beware of people that have a lot of money. You get that? Beware of people who flatter you. Beware of people who have great influence. Beware of people who have a lot of money. This is desiring their delicacies. In other words, I want their compliments. Because they flatter you, you want more. You want more of their compliments. Beware, I've never forgotten this. Pastor said, you got to watch out for anybody that just puffs you up, builds you up, talks about you. I guarantee you what, it's happened a couple times in this church. And I've told these people, you know, I, I brag on my pastor, in other words, just to say how grateful I am and all that. But every, you didn't hear me stand up here for 30 minutes and go on and on and on about our pastor. Amen. I wanted to get him up here and let him preach. But I guarantee you got to be careful about people that when they're around others, they're always trying to puff you up, build you up, et cetera, et cetera, and flatter you. I'm going to tell you what, these people, believe it or not, are easily used by Satan. They're easily used by Satan. This is, again, not desiring their delicacies, their flattery, or they might have great influence. Might have great influence. Realize how many people today get caught up in evil because they simply want to have the opportunity to be around somebody who knows, quote-unquote, influential people, right? They might know somebody famous or know other people that are obviously in a position of a high, high place, either in government or in some other aspect of the world. And it's like, wow, they're influential people because look at all the people they know. I want to hang out with them so I can get to know all them people. Not, not good. This is desiring their delicacies. And be careful with people who have a lot of money. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean we avoid these people with air, like they're the plague. He, listen to the word he used. Be careful. Right. Be careful. Because not all of them. Say not all of them. Oh. Not all of them obviously have a, a wrongful agenda and or are, are deceived themselves. But many get deceived. Right. Now, I'll tell you what. I've watched people start off in a position who were doing these things and their intention was not to do any wrong. But over time, Satan began to take advantage of that. And little did I know, and obviously realizing, learning it later in context of actually walking it out, I saw it happen. I've seen it happen more than once in my life as a pastor. And I'll guarantee you, if you think, think about all the pastors that have gone wrong, all because they simply got to be around somebody, get to know somebody that they know has got a lot of money. And so, you know, they want to obviously have them given to their ministry to help them out. And so they'll do almost anything to get favor with that person to get their money. So you got to be very careful about desiring the delicacies of other people because if all of a sudden they turn evil, guess what? That can affect you. So we don't desire those things. Amen? I said amen. amen. We don't desire other people's what? We don't desire other people's quote-unquote sphere of influence. We don't desire their, their uh, uh, riches, and we don't desire, what did I tell you, three things. I'm, I'm missing one. Flattery. Flattery. 
We don't desire their flattery. We don't desire their influence. We don't desire their money. You listen to me? I don't desire people's money. I, I desire to obey God. God will take care of the money part. I don't desire, I don't want, honestly, attention brought to me. I don't. I want attention brought to Jesus. Amen? So this is what he's talking about in this verse, that you don't want to desire their delicacies. Notice this, next verse, four. Four. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. So we've quoted this verse many times. It applies to every human. In this context, it's talking about somebody who really has evil intentions. They really do have evil intentions, and you don't see it because it's in his heart. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. And notice he says, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. His goal is to mislead you, take advantage of you. So all I want to focus on, though, in verse 7, because I've taught you this, we don't take Scripture out of context to try to make it say something it doesn't say. But there's a difference between understanding when you study the Bible what's known as context and principle. Say context. Context. Say principle. Principle. Let me give you another example, right? Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Now, that is a principle that applies across the board. You can take that principle and you can apply it in different contexts. You You can apply it to money. You can apply it to a natural seed. You listening? You can apply it to spiritual things. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. So the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. So there's a principle operating here in different contexts of life. You understand the difference? So what we're taking out of this is the principle because it's true of any individual. As you think in your heart, so are you. Amen. So are you. It's not just the evil person, it's the good person as well. So you've got to understand, as somebody thinks in their heart, their soulish man, that is what they really tend to walk out. That is what they'll live, tend to live out. Watch this on the, the point of f- uh, finding freedom from defeat on your notes. Number one, you must realize that defeat, you must realize that defeat on the inside is much more dangerous than defeat in outward natural events. So if I start taking an attitude of being defeated in life, guess what? It will affect you in how you live your life. Far more than outward events. So outward events are not as dangerous to you as what you think of yourself on the inside. What you think of yourself on the inside will have a greater impact in your life than what happens on the outside. Because it don't matter what happens on the outside. If I, like David, know facing Goliath, guess what? He ain't got a covenant with my God. I do. David knew on the inside because he was a man after God's own heart. He knew I'm a covenant child. It don't matter how big this guy is. It don't matter how how strong he is, how dangerous he looks. He is not a threat to me because I know on the inside I'm a covenant child with God. Amen? Amen. So you got to understand outward circumstances, you could say it this way, are not as detrimental to you as what you think of yourself on the inside. And a lot of Christians think, they belittle and think little of themselves on the inside because they're not going by what God said. You listening? A lot of people think they're being humble. Well, I don't want to exalt myself. Well, none of us should. None of us should. But at the same time, we should not talk of, our, talk of ourselves lower than who God says we are. You know, Romans says, uh, Romans chapter 12, I think it's in verse 5, says, Do not think more highly than you ought to think. Listen to that whole phrase, though. Listen to the whole phrase. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. 
So I shouldn't exalt myself to a position that I shouldn't think above what God says. But notice this. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You ought to think of yourself highly because God does. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. What determines value and worth in any aspect of what we deal with in life? What determines value and worth? I've taught you this before. Two things. What determines it? Let me tell you what determines value and worth. I'll teach you again. One, ready? One, how rare something is. What determines value and worth? How rare is it? Because the more rare, anything in life, the more rare, more it's going to cost you. Right? If it's, a, if it's one car, it's going to cost you more than if they made a hundred of those cars or a thousand of those cars. If you want that car and there's only one, it's going to cost you more. Right? Rarity. Number two, what somebody's willing to pay for it. Maybe you got a hundred cars, but somebody's willing to pay a fortune for one of them. Well, if they're willing to pay it, that's, then that determines value. That determines value. It's like home values. You know, people try to sell their homes a lot of times, although it's happened in Texas, has for a while. People try to sell their homes for more than they're worth. Well, this is how much I want to get. Doesn't matter how much you want to get. That doesn't determine value. What determines value? Rarity of your home and how much somebody wants it. What are they willing to pay for it? That's what determines value. Well, guess what? Guess what the blood of Jesus is called? It's called the precious blood of Jesus. The Bible says you were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Precious. You know what that word means? Very valuable. How rare is the blood of Jesus? There's nothing more rare. I said there's nothing more rare. What price was God willing to pay for you? The highest price anybody could pay. So don't belittle yourself and think lower than what you are. You're very valuable to God. Turn your neighbor and say, you're very valuable to God. The most valuable thing on the planet there's ever been was the blood of Jesus. That was spilled for all of us. So we're very valuable to God. So you and I have to make sure to not walk in defeat. I hope you're getting the point. Don't get caught up on, on getting hung up on the principle and the context thing. Good to understand. That's a little rabbit trail. You can take principles that apply across the board that are godly principles. And they work in different environments of context. And you're not, you're not in any way misinterpreting that, that scripture to talk about the principle. If you try to talk about the principle out of context and relating it in some way to something that doesn't fit that context, now you're misinterpreting the Bible. Are you still with me? Yes. Some of you kind of look at me like that calf looking at the new gate thing. But you got to understand, the simplest one to remember is sowing and reaping because sowing and reaping works in all different contexts of life. It's a principle. Say principle. Another way to say it, it's a spiritual law. When you study the Bible, we call it a principle, principle of Scripture. That's a principle. You can't obviously change that principle, but that principle could actually affect multiple aspects of life. So if you take that principle, apply it in different contexts, it still works. Can I get a better amen? Well, this principle, I don't care the context, good or bad, miser or not, it works. Why? Because what you think of of yourself in your heart, your soulish man, that's what you'll become. You will never rise above to what you think of yourself. You'll never rise above to what you think of yourself. If you don't, this is so powerful. If you don't see yourself as the body of Christ, you'll never rise to that position. You never will. You don't separate a body from its head. No. I posted this today. Example, okay? So the Bible says in Acts 10... In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Correct? Yes. Did he not do that? Yes. Yeah, but you know what the book of Corinthians says? You are the body of Christ. 
Well, guess what? When God anointed Jesus, guess what he did? He anointed you. Well, I wasn't born again yet. Already considered done. You don't separate the head from the body. The same anointing. Come on. The same God. Same anointing. Same anointing Jesus had. You have. You just got to learn to flow in it. You got to learn to allow that Holy Spirit to come upon you like he did. Could I get a better amen? Now, there's proof in the Bible that you got to have that same anointing. I'm going to give you the proof. It's John 14, 12. Jesus said, the works I did, you'll do also in greater works, meaning greater in number. But you couldn't do what he did without the same anointing. I said you couldn't do what he did without the same anointing. See, a lot of people just don't think they have that anointing. Oh, no, that was Jesus. Well, you're, you're the body. He's the head of the body. You're the body. Can I get a better amen? So you got to understand, one of the keys of why so many Christians live in defeat is they think little of themselves. They don't think of themselves the way God sees them, the way God says they are. Amen? Any good amens on that? So you got to recognize that the more, uh, the more dangerous thing in life where you get defeated is what you think on the inside, not what's going on on the outside. So turn to Proverbs 18. You can tell I want to preach on that some more, but I got to move on or we'll never get to this class. Proverbs 18. How do you change how you see yourself on the inside? You go to the Word. You look at everything the Word says you are and you say it all the time. I am. Why do we, not, why do we make this statement? I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. See, don't just make that statement, you know, just kind of flippantly. You, you get in a religious exercise frame of mind if you just blurt it out. When you say that, every time we say that, you should think about what you just said. I am who God says I am. Who are you? Who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. Well, what can you do? What God says I can do. I have what God says I have. What do you have? What God says I have. I have the same anointing. Proverbs 18, so critical. And that's why I love that this is the verse that we start off with because the truth is most people really need to deal with what they're thinking of themselves on the inside. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 18, number two on your notes, the Bible teaches us also that if we are strong inside, no outside war, warfare can affect us. If we're strong on the inside, doesn't mean you don't have warfare. You're in a battle zone. But guess what? That outside warfare cannot affect you. Amen. Proverbs 18, 14, in other words, cause you to be defeated. Watch this. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. Anybody ever battled a sickness in your body since you've been born again? But see, if you are, are actually walking on the planet with your spirit man strong as a dominant part of your life, guess what? It'll sustain you. Sustain means you'll overcome it. Look at the latter part of the verse. But who can bear a broken spirit? Who can bear a broken spirit? What's a broken spirit from the New Testament perspective? You're not very strong uh, uh, spiritually. You're weak spiritually. Because this is talking about your spirit man. Now your spirit man is powerful. But if he don't dominate, you're going to obviously live a life of a broken spirit. Meaning that he is not going to be the dominant one. Your soul will. Your old flesh will. And if that's the case, you're not going to be sustained when you face battles. 2A, the spirit of a man does what? Sustains him when he's in trouble. See, I guarantee you, I, I know people don't like this verse, but it's in the Bible. It is New Testament. Jesus said it. In this world, you will have tribulation. And I'm sure you all shout about that verse. <laughs> right? Challenges, persecution, 
Things are going to come at you. You got a devil, you got an enemy, you know. I heard a, one pastor, senior pastor, talking to another pastor recently. And this uh, senior pastor was saying, uh, you better get used to what you're dealing with right now, son. Because guess what? You are a pastor. You are in a place of warfare. God wants you to uh, truly prosper and press forward. But the devil don't. And he's going to do everything he can to shut you down and stop you. So realize it's just part of being in the ministry. So the spirit of a man will sustain him when he's in trouble. Why? As a man thinks, so is he. To be a wounded spirit who can bear. A wounded spirit. So if a wounded spirit is the case of a believer, that just simply means that we are not functioning properly out of our spirit man. We are functioning more out of our soulish man and not thinking of ourselves the way we should. To see if you refuse to be defeated on the inside. Underline it. That's a powerful statement. If you refuse to be defeated on the inside, guess what? Then you will always be victorious in your situations. But you got to refuse to be defeated on the inside. John Osteen used to say, if you win the battle in your mind, then you've won the battle. Because I'll guarantee you again, when we're talking about the context of what a man thinks in his heart, we're talking about the centered part of his soulish being, mind, will, and emotions, and what he thinks in his mind. Okay? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So you can understand right off the bat, and it does not change through this whole study tonight. You can understand to walk in freedom from defeat, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to get it from the inside. Your victory comes from the inside out, uh, inside out, not from outside in. So you got to understand that. Romans chapter 8, if you turn there, Romans chapter 8. And I know you know these verses clearly because, and especially those of you that worked for Terry Myers, you hear them all the time. We're not conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Not the defeated ones. Not the defeated ones. Number three on your notes. Say it. We are. Say it. Personalize it. I am more than a conqueror. Not the defeated one. I love Terry's statement. Look me up in the, in the if, you looked, if you could look me up in the phone book, it would say conqueror more than. Amen. Because that's who God says you are. Well, it'll feel like a conqueror. Well, I did not know under the New Testament you're supposed to walk by feelings and not by faith. Because it ain't based on how you feel. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Let's read these verses. 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer. Nobody. Some of you need to learn that answer. I'll try it again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer. No one. Shall tribulation? What about distress? No. Persecution? No. What about famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril or sword? No. Now what he just told you in verse 35, no matter what of these things you go through, none of those things mean God doesn't love you. Right. You know many people say, well, if God really loved me, why do you allow this to happen? First of all, he actually did not, in the context of what's directly going on in your life, he did permit it as a free will choice in the garden, but because of that free will choice, we have all these things going on. So understand, it's not God causing, obviously, those problems. Therefore, does he not love you? Sure he does. Absolutely. 36, that is, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. For who? God's sake. Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. 37, yet, come on. Yet in all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In all these things we are, not going to be, 
We're more than conquerors through him. Come on. Through him who loved us. Have you bailed on me already? Verse 30. Look at going on. Verse 38 there. Notice this. For I'm persuaded. Say I'm persuaded. So here's what you got to become. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you look at these verses now in context from 35 down through 39, what's he start off with verse 35? What's going to separate us from the love of God? Then he lists all these things. And he says, clearly, Father, clearly, without a doubt, for your sake, we're killed all the day long, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, we got an enemy who wants to take us out, but in the midst of all of that, we're more than conquerors. So can he? Not if we don't allow him. In these verses, he then goes on and says, I'm persuaded what? That none of these things, none of these things shall separate me from the love of God. So in this context, we are more than conquerors, but what's the key for us to to establish this and walk this out in our life? Don't ever think in a hardship God doesn't love you. Because the devil wants to make you think, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. God really loved you. He wouldn't allow this to happen. You understand what Jesus is doing right now? What's Jesus doing right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? He's already done everything he needs to do to prove his love to you, to take care of you, to provide the ability for you to walk in victory. He did his part. So he's already done what's needed for us to walk in victory. Don't ever say never. Don't ever let the devil convince you because of what you're going through, God must not love you. That's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. And the devil loves to propagate that lie on believers because if he can get you to doubt God's love, guess what? You're not going to be able to walk in that love towards God. Guess what faith works through? There you go. So I got to be persuaded. You got to be persuaded. Nothing I go through separates me from the love of God. My God loves me as much as he always did. The proof of how much God loves you is purposed and, and revealed through the cross. When Jesus spread those hands out, there's no greater sign of how much God loves you. You know why? He deserved none of that. And he did that for your victory and mine, as we're about to see in just a minute. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Praise God. I love these scriptures. These are scriptures that you want to learn develop an understanding of, memorize. When we talked about the other night, practice, meditating, renewing your mind to certain scriptures. These are some of those scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Underline these first few words, please, in this first verse. But thanks be to God. What should we be doing? Thanking God for this. But thanks be to who? God, why? Why thanks be to God? Read the rest of the verse. Who gives us the victory? Who gives us the victory? God does. Oh, I don't win the victory? No, nope, he already won it. You're just taking hold and taking advantage of what he already gave you. If he's already given me the victory, I already know no matter what the battle is I face, I already got the victory as long as I live it from the inside out. 
As long as I believe it from the inside out, as long as I believe what Scripture says about me, don't matter what I face, don't matter what comes down the pike, think about that. If you really walk in the reality of the truth of what we're saying, you're not afraid to face anything. You're not afraid to face any challenge that will come. You want to know why? I already got the victory. I already got the victory. Shout and shoot time. I already got the victory. Amen? Thanks be to God. Say thanks be to God. Why? Because He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be what? Steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. So work in the Lord refers to obviously doing God's work. But more than that, what else is a work in the Lord? Keeping yourself spiritually strong. Hey, I can see it now. Hold it up. Amen. Praise God. She had one. I couldn't, you couldn't hardly see it. I don't remember what. It was like a little small type or something. Are you going to raise it up higher than that? All right. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to have you come sit up here on the, on the platform now. And then every time I need an amen, you're going to hold it up. Come here, let's practice. Come here, hurry. Come on. Hurry, come on. Run. Yes, turn around, face everybody. Hold it up, see how they do. Put it down, put it down. Raise it up. Put it down. Raise it up. Good job. Amen. I don't know why you wouldn't want to say amen. The Bible even tells you you should because you're declaring, so be it for me, Lord. So it, you got to get this. I know you know this first, but listen to it carefully. We should face every challenge the minute it comes doing what? Thanking God. The minute you face a challenge, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The minute if you face a challenge, you should not be going, oh, no. Oh, we better pray. Oh, we better find out what God says about this. Nope. What's the first thing you should do? What's the first thing you should do? Thank you, Father. I've already got the victory over this. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Come on. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus is all, through Christ means Jesus already accomplished it. So say this with me. It doesn't matter. A little more enthusiastic. It doesn't matter. What comes my way? I already have the victory. What should you be doing when it comes? You should start thanking Him. The minute, the minute you see it coming, you should start thanking Him. Father, thank you. I already got victory over that. Already got the victory. Because what you're doing is you're releasing faith. You're releasing faith. What does faith do? Believes it receives. If you believe you receive, what are you going to do? You're going to start thanking God. So you got to recognize the power of thanksgiving in relating it to your victory as a child of God. Number four on your notes, the New Testament tells us Jesus will always give us the victory because it's already ours. What must you do? So you might want to put a little note underneath there. I need to thank God. The minute a challenge comes, you should be thanking God right then for the victory. Right then. Yeah, but I've done that and it looked like it got worse. Yeah, it's exactly what the devil wants you to think. Exactly what he wants you to think. Do you remember when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there was an actual guy that brought his boy to try to find Jesus to get his boy freed from a demon? And, and Jesus and, and, and Peter, James, and John, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he comes to the other disciples that are there, right? And he asks, can you cast it out? Now, they'd been casting demons out already. Hey, can you cast it out? How many know that they tried? Yeah. 
Because when Jesus came back down, they said, we tried, but we couldn't get it out. Was that true? Yes. I said, was that true? Yes. Truth is, they, they, they tried. They could have got it out, but they allowed what was going on in the natural to affect them. They didn't see that as already a victory. They saw that as something they were trying to win a victory over. Oh, you need to listen to me preach tonight. See, they were trying to win a victory over a demon that was in that boy. Should have never saw it that way. The moment that boy was presented to them, they should have known. We already have the victory over this demon. Now, here's why we know it didn't work. Here's why we know. Because then, when Jesus said, how long, this is talking to his disciples. How long must I be with you guys, man? Come on. So then he does what? He then talks to the guy a little bit, and then he commands the demon to come out. What happened when he commanded the demon to come out? Jesus did. The boy drops to the ground, starts walling at the mouth and flopping on the ground. Right? Guess what Jesus didn't do? He didn't command the demon to come out again. You know why? Because I know I've got victory over you. You got no choice. You got to come out. See, the devil always tries to continue to get us caught up in what we see. And therefore, he knows if I can hang around long enough to get them out of faith, I can get them defeated. Now, I'll guarantee you, if that's what happened when Jesus commanded that demon to come out, what do you think happened when the disciples commanded the demon to come out? Same thing. So now what are they going by? What they're seeing. What do you think they did? I think they tried to cast it out again. So you got to understand, man, if you're talking to a demon, that's like a person who knows they're in a position of authority. Remember the centurion have soldiers under them. You command them to do something, guess what? You don't say it twice. One time and they got to respond. Demons know this as, as, a, as a believer. They know this about you. If you truly understand your authority and command them to go, they know they've got no option. But it don't mean they ain't going to try to throw a last minute fit to try to get you to get out of faith. Preaching better than your amen. Again, what are we talking about? Every challenge that comes to you, you got to see it already. The minute you start seeing it come across the horizon, the minute you start seeing something come your way, what do you got to start seeing it as? Already got the victory. So what should you start doing from that moment on? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Jesus already took care of this. He already gave me the victory for it. This is freedom from defeat. Amen? Go to Joshua chapter 1. Let's look at an example as the Old Testament recorded and written for our admonition that we could learn from clearly and still glean understanding from as to how God works. God doesn't change. He works the same in the New Testament as the Old. So we can learn things and glean things of what happened to them in the Old Testament about God and apply that to our life under the New Covenant. Joshua chapter 1. Every time a challenge comes, what should I do? If you got nothing else tonight and you ought to get more than just this, you need to start recognizing, number one, I already have the victory over you. Therefore, number two, I will start thanking God I got the victory. I'm not going to start moaning, groaning, and complaining. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Nope. If you start doing that, what does the enemy who's coming at you know? What does the enemy know as he's coming at you? Do you know the devil already knows he, that he's been defeated? But do you know that he realizes a lot of Christians don't know that? And he sees it in your response just like the disciples. And because he saw the disciples respond that way, he said, I ain't got to go. They don't really believe what they're saying. Amen? Joshua chapter 1. On your notes number 5, God taught Joshua. He taught him that defeat was a matter of choice. Think about that. 
God taught Joshua defeat was a matter of choice. Let's read it. Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Who spoke to him? The Lord, Lord did. Moses, uh, Moses, he spoke to, the, to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, verse 2, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Who was this? Second generation. Remember? Of those who came out of Egypt, he allowed the first generation to die off 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't believe him. Joshua was about to take him into that promised land. Three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have what? Underline that. Not going to. Already belongs to you. They haven't even gone there yet. Haven't even gone there yet. He said, I've already given it to you, as I said to Moses. Verse 4, from, this, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down to the sun, shall be your territory. 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So I will be with you. You can say it this way as I, in the New Testament. As I was with my son Jesus, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Underline that. I will not, will not, will not, will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean you could not forsake God? You could. But he won't leave you. He won't forsake you. Six, be strong and of good courage. Notice that. Be strong and of good courage. That's a choice. Amen. He didn't have to be, but he told him to be. Strong and of good courage. For to, Notice this. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Back to the top of verse 6. Underline it. Be what? Verse 7. Only be what? Underline it. Second time. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do you not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go? Verse 8. This book of the law, this book of the law, book of, of sayings, book of, of, of teachings of his, shall not depart from where? Your mouth. But you shall do what? Did we just talk about this Sunday? You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do. According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have what? Good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Underline it, third time. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be what? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? He's with you ever, wherever you go. So verse 6 be strong and of good courage. Seven, be strong and of good courage. Nine, be strong and of good courage. Meaning what? It's a, it's a choice. God can't make him do that. But he's telling him, you be strong, you be of good courage. See, to walk in victory over defeat is a choice. Amen. Now, you understand for us to be strong, even in Joshua's case, was Joshua going to be strong in his own ability? No. God was going to defeat those enemies. Right. What are we supposed to do? Be strong in the... Come on, talk to you this Sunday night. Be strong in the... Lord, and in the power of, how do you do that? You start rejoicing in what he did. You start acknowledging what he did. Amen? So it's a choice. Say it's a choice. 
See, victory or defeat is a decision. Amen. It's a choice you make. You choose to be strong in the Lord or you choose not to be. Good. I'm going to tell you what, that, that little truth right there is more valuable than you know. Because yes. most people are defeated by, by, because of choice. They choose not to be strong in the Lord. What do you mean they choose not to be strong in the Lord? They don't start rejoicing in the Lord. They don't start acknowledging what Jesus has done. No, they talk about the problem. They talk about their circumstances. Well, this is never going to change. Well, they're always going to be this way. Well, it's just always going to be my life. I sure wish this wouldn't have happened. Sure wish I'd have done something else. No, that's going to get you victory. Oh, that's going to cause you to live in defeat. 5A, God told Joshua not to be afraid or dismayed. Say it's a choice. Defeat was a matter of choice. And God told him, if you're going to walk in victory, son, you cannot be afraid or dismayed. B, the victory comes with what? Steps of faith. Notice wherever you place your foot. You got to move forward. You got to go forward where God told you to go, doing what God told you to do, or you're not going to walk in victory as a child of God. You don't sit back and wait for the victory to come to you. You go forward and take the victory that's already yours. 5C, the Lord promised Joshua that he would never leave him alone, never forsake him. You and I have the Holy Spirit living in us. God promised to keep his spirit with him wherever he was. He's living in you. You got a guarantee he's never going to never leave you unless you blast him the Holy Spirit. Say, I ain't doing that. 5D, the realization that God is with us, like the fourth man, remember that in the furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the very first start in living a life of victory. Circle or highlight that D right there. Because the very key, this is key, the very first start in living a life of victory is knowing I'm not alone. I not only have the victory, the God who gave me the victory is with me. He's here right now. He's He's living in me right now. He is already everywhere I go with me. Praise God. He does not leave me. He does not forsake me. 5E, never let your circumstances isolate you. This is defeat's avenue of, of approach. If, if the devil can get you isolated from believers and church and all that, guess what? You're going to start losing sight of who you are. And you're going to start focusing on your circumstances. Hebrews chapter 2. Come on, we got to get going here. Hebrews chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maverick got me preaching too much earlier there. So, nah, I'm kidding. Kid, Maverick, don't get mad. Don't throw nothing. I know uh, you're not mad. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Praise God. I just continue to delight in so many people that come to this church and just compliment your kids all the time. Amen. And more of, them, more of them did Monday night. Just thank, thanked us for how great the kids are around here. So, well, that's because they got great parents. Glory Amen. to God. Hebrews 2.14. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself, likewise, shared in the same, came in flesh and blood body. That through death, say through death, did he die? Did he die? Some of you like think it's a trick question. Did he die? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he died on the cross. Yes, no, maybe. Wasn't a trick question. Notice this, through death, say through death. Notice this, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Did Jesus die? Guess what he did? He destroyed him who had power, power of death. He destroyed the devil's power. 15, to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
What do you mean? One of the keys that causes defeat is a fear of death, fear of dying. People often get defeated just because they're afraid to die physically. First of all, I'm not telling you that you should ever want to die. Nobody should. That's not, that's not our goal. Our goal is to live for Jesus, not die. But we shouldn't be afraid if we're obeying God, doing what we're called to do, and we face challenges like for some reason we're afraid to die. I tell people all the time, worst case scenario, you do your best to obey God, you walk with God, you die physically, let me help you. You're a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's a bad thing? Why would you be afraid to die? But people are. Do you know the Bible said in this day, perilous times, we read it actually from Jesus' own words on Sunday. He said, many, uh, many hearts, many of those people's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming. And what's happening. Pastor and I were talking about this at lunchtime today. You know. And you could scare a lot of people with this. And sadly even a lot of believers. But here's the facts folks. Do you understand what happened here when COVID hit? Do you understand what happened even in Texas when the week of freeze hit last year? Do you understand how many Christians live every single day just thinking that their grocery grocery store shelves are always going to be full? You know how many people think every day I can pull up to the gas station and get gas anytime I want? To get anywhere I need to go. I'll always have milk to put in my refrigerator. uh, Eggs to put in my refrigerator. You listening? You know how many people just live in a world every day where they think this is just going to be normal for all of my life. And all of a sudden COVID hit. And the whole world shut down for two weeks. A freeze hit here in Texas, right? A major freeze all across the, the, the country. And sadly people died. Weren't prepared. And all of a sudden, people realize in the midst of all of that, guess what? Supplies can run out that quick. Now, I'm not trying to get you afraid. I'm just telling you, a lot of people's hearts are, fall, are, are, are failing them for fear. The Bible said it. Jesus said, for fear of what's to come and what is actually coming down the pike. Now, listen, this has been confirmed. We don't know, like, how close or how far off. But do you understand, we're at the lowest in fuel reserves we've ever been in this country since 1983. You know, there are some experts that are saying there is a possibility, say possibility. There's a possibility we could run out of diesel fuel in this country. You know what happens if we run out of diesel fuel? You think shelves have been empty before? It won't take but a day or two. There'll be nothing left in the grocery stores. There'll be nothing left in any of the stores. Guess who gets all that stuff trucked to the stores? Diesel trucks do. Trains do. What happens when we run out of diesel? They ain't moving it no way, no how. They ain't got no way to get it there. You listening? I mean, gosh, just in Texas, if we hear of a cold snap coming and you don't run to, you know, the store really quick in the next, you know, uh, probably day, all of a sudden you show up, all the bread's gone, all the milk's gone. You listening? COVID, how quick did we all of a sudden learn how valuable toilet paper was? I'm serious. Do you know why people's hearts are failing them? Because they're starting to find out this is a reality. We're in perilous times. This could happen in a heartbeat. If you go back and read Pastor's Prophecy Preview, this isn't get scared and store up months and months of food. But he said, I'm going to tell you right now. I asked him today. I said, so Pastor, you said in your Prophecy Preview that it's a wise decision for one who sees evil coming to prepare for it. You said that it's good to have some food stored up for your family. How much food do you store up? He said, I have enough food stored up at my home to feed my entire family for 30 days. 
enough food. Through different organizations, there's an organization called Patriot something that actually has uh, MRI type meals that actually will store for years and years that it would, I'm serious. He said, I'm telling you, you have no, we don't have any idea what could come down the pike that could totally, like the, like example, what if they do, what if they do run out of diesel? You're going to be pulling out some MRIs, some of these meals. You listening? If you have them, what if you don't? What are you going to eat? Where are you going to get your food? Now, unless you got your own cattle to raise and can actually kill them and process them and do all that yourself. What are you going to do? Where are you going to get this food? Are you listening? Why are people's hearts failing them? I'll tell you why. Because of the stuff that's coming. He just told you one of the keys of what defeats people is a fear. Fear, fear of death. Fear of dying. Well, obviously, what are they afraid of? Dying. Not having enough food to feed their family. Starving. And I'll guarantee you, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's, it's not a fearful thing as a believer to know that literally this could happen any day. COVID proved it. The freeze proved it. You listening? I'm telling you, folks, you better start listening to the prophet of God. When he says you ought to have about 30 days worth of supplies stored up, you better get about 30 days worth of supplies stored up. If you're not on a well, if you're on a city system, and diesel goes away. You know what they can't get to actually take care of, of uh, purifying your water? The chemicals needed. Guess what you're not going to be able to do on a, on a city water system? You're not going to be able to drink that water. They got no way to get the chemicals needed to take care of, pre- of uh, treating that plant. You listening? Yes. I'm telling you, folks, you and I got to understand many people will be defeated because of fear. But you and I understand we don't have a spirit of fear. No, we've been given victory by Jesus Christ no matter what comes. Amen. Number six, the Bible clearly tells us that fear of death, which is rooted in selfishness, because you're focused on you, is the bondage factor of some people's lives. Isaiah 61. All right, we've got to hurry now. Isaiah 61. Go to Isaiah 61. And honestly... Pastor said, you don't even have to buy these, you know, prepackaged kind of military style meals. He said, you could go and buy, you know, a handful of uh, multiple cans of uh, like different soups and stuff that are actually are, are on the dates of them are good for like three to four years. He said, but most people don't know if you don't open that can, that's just the shelf life date. That thing's good for another three or four years. And the truth is, if you get to the shelf life date and you want to swatch, go give it to the needy. Go give it to the poor. Go buy some more. But a lot of people don't know, even if you're not able to heat food, if electric went out or whatever, I mean, you can eat right out of those cans because that stuff's pre-cooked. It might be cold, but it's still food. And it's pre-cooked. You don't have to cook it to obviously be able to eat it. Isaiah 61, you still with me? Verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, verse 1, excuse me, I was in verse 60. Uh, Isaiah 60. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. Because the Lord is what? What's he done? What's he done? So I already shared this with you. You're the body. He's the head. If he was anointed, you're anointed. To do what? Preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Opening a prison uh, to those who are bound. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And to comfort all who mourn. So what's he saying here? He's telling me and you, Jesus being anointed, well, guess what? So are we. Because we're the body. Seven, Jesus has anointed us to be in and stay in the ministry and to be an active part of the church. 
So this verse isn't just for ministers. It's for the whole body of Christ. Say, I am anointed. Isaiah 10. What does that have to do with not being defeated? Glad you asked. Isaiah 10. One of the ways you get defeated is you get bound. You get bound up in life through things, it can defeat you. If you're bound by something, it can defeat you. But thank God we have something to, uh, to get that bondage off of our life called the anointing of God. Isaiah 10, 27. It shall come to pass in that day, describing the anointing, that his, underline it, burden will be taken away from your shoulder, the enemies, and his yoke from your neck. And he was talking to the children of Israel, and he's saying, your enemy's burden will be taken from your shoulder and his yoke of bondage from your neck. How? And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil, representing the anointing of God. So there is no yoke of bondage the enemy can put on you. If you understand and know how to function in the anointing of God, that can keep you bound. How could you be defeated then? I said, how could you be defeated then? Number eight, the anointing of Jesus not only breaks the yoke of bondage, but it literally does what? Destroys it. 8a, having the anointing on your life is a must if you're going to live a life free from defeat. You got to have it on your life. I wish I had time to teach on that. I don't. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, how do I keep it on my life? You hinder nothing for the Spirit of God inside you to flow out of you. If you, through soulish means of not obviously submitting to the Spirit, but submitting to your flesh, continue to live ruled by the flesh, you're, we, we, we learned it in this last men's meeting. Why does God want us to understand how to function again as a total man, our spirit dominant? Because the only way the Holy Spirit who's in you, the power of God, can flow out of you is through harmony of your entire being. If your soul's living carnal, looking outwardly, your spirit... Uh, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, inside your spirit cannot flow out of you. You're hindering him from doing so. So you got to continue to walk in a place of yielding to your spirit and obedience to God. And if you do, the anointing can flow out of you. Number nine, it's the Lord who brings us through the battles of life and causes us to triumph in Christ. Another verse here on it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2.14 tells us this. Now thanks be to God again. Come on. Thanks be to God. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ and therefore, notice this, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Knowledge of what? Victory. Knowledge of victory. Now, what you underline here is who always leads us in triumph. Always leads us in triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. I should start thanking God for the victory, but now I got to do what? I got to make sure I'm led by him i got to do what I know he tells me to do to walk in victory. If I start thanking God for the victory, and yet I speak out of my mouth all the circumstances and go by what I see, I'm not being led by God. God always leads us. If you're following what God's plan is in the Bible, and as God leads you, guess what you're always going to do? He's never going to lead you in defeat. He's always going to lead you in victory. And ye amens on that. Last set of verses, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Shake your neighbor, son. I'm glad you came tonight. Colossians chapter 2. And we're glad for all of you joining us online tonight. Thank you for hooking up with us. Colossians 2, 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. Watch this. And you being dead in your trespasses, when you were still a sinner, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive. Not going to. Has made alive together what? 
There you go, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He take he notices he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to where? The cross. I love to think about that. When his hands and feet were being nailed, guess what he was doing? He was allowing, context right here, the very requirements that were against us to be nailed to that cross, to be fulfilled. Verse 15, having disarmed. Come on, having disarmed. Principalities, powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in that. Watch this. I want to, real quick, I'll share this. So, Caleb, if somebody's got a gun, but you remove all the bullets, they're basically what? Disarmed. They might still have a gun, but if they got no bullets, in the context of being able to shoot you, can't shoot you because they got no what? Got no bullets. You know what Jesus did? He removed the bullets. He disarmed Jesus. He disarmed Satan. He disarmed him. Look at your notes. 10. Jesus is an expert at triumphing over all of Satan's powers, and he has given us this same authority. I gave it to you in a different translation here. Uh, Colossians 2.15. He disarmed those. He disarmed those. What's the New King James say? New King James says, same thing, having disarmed principalities. What do you mean principalities? He disarmed those who once ruled over us. How, who once ruled over us? Satan did when you were a sinner because right. he's the God of this world. But he's not ruling over you anymore. Amen. He disarmed those who ruled over us, those who had overpowered us like captives of war. He put them on display to the world to show his victory over them by means of the cross. Yes. Raise it up real high. Amen. You got to point it at them. Amen. You got to wave it at it where they can see it. Amen. There you go. So Jesus already did what? Jesus already triumphed over all of Satan's powers and gave us the same authority. Because Satan, in the eyes of God, has been disarmed when it comes to the believer. So here you go, folks. Freedom from defeat. Freedom from defeat. And the primary thing you need to focus on and deal with is that inward uh, view of yourself. Because most people get defeated from within, not from outside. And if you know these things that we taught you tonight, walk in the light of them within your heart, guess what? You'll walk in freedom from defeat. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.